0: Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world, church service. This is the first message of the year, 2022. Hallelujah. And I'm so glad that you're here today. Praise God. We're going to have a good time in the word of God. Now I want to share some special things with you today. Even a supernatural encounter, a prophetic word I have. I'm going to share that in just a moment, but 1st Let's put God first by bringing the tithes and offerings into the storehouse of the Lord. And let's look at a scripture to build our faith in the area of finances. Remember, there is the covenant of salvation. You put your faith and trust in Christ. You're redeemed from spiritual death, and you belong to Jesus. That is a covenant of salvation. But finances work differently with the Lord. Finances in your walk with God, uh, finances are not something that you can look at as simply as a promise that God says, oh, I'm going to give this to you. Just claim it. Well, it works differently because you have to engage God in a covenant in that area in order for God to begin to work in your financial life. Praise God. And so with all of the uncertainties within the financial realm today, We want to be sure that we're on firm footing. And remember, when you're in covenant with the Lord, the covenant exempts you from things that others have to go through that are not in covenant with God. Remember, David said uh, concerning when he was talking to Saul and the others, he said concerning Goliath, who is this uncircumcised person that's saying all of these things? Who is this giant that's uncircumcised? In other words, David knew that he had covenant with God. He understood covenant, and he knew that Goliath did not. So the fact that he does not have a covenant with God being uh, expressed through the words uncircumcised means he has weakness, and he's vulnerable, and he can be defeated. So in our finances, we want to be in covenant with the Lord. And here we see in Isaiah chapter 30, let's go to verse 21, a well-known verse that says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, verse 22, you will also defile the covering of your images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold you will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, get away. Now, my friends, in order for the Lord's blessings to fall upon your life, like the gentle rain falling out of the sky and Uh, In bringing moisture and water to uh, thirsty soil, we must first do our part, which is to remove the unclean thing out of our lives. And here it's expressed in the lives of the apostate Israelites that they had their various gods shaped and molded into the form of a rock or stone. And then once it was shaped, then they would coat it uh, and plate it with either silver or with gold. And they would say, ah, this is my God. Yet it's just a piece of wood or a piece of rock that's been decorated. Can't talk, certainly can't do anything to help you. But they were faced with the reality of this is really all this stuff is. And so they despised it. They would defile it and stomp it and smash it and throw it away and even say to it, get away. And that's what you have to do. And there are certain preachers in the body of Christ that really tried to uh, have one side, uh, of the fence balanced, where they're they're on both sides. They want to be in the church and be a church leader, but at the same time, they want to have a foot in the world, and they don't ever want to say anything that might ruffle anybody's feathers. And thus, they never mention the devastating consequences of sin, or the the very difficult and frustrating things you can walk through in life when you are not being obedient. To the Lord and His commandments. So my friends, God is very serious about His commandments. We need to throw away any type of unclean thing, any polluted thing, and even say to it, this thing is messing my life up. I am not going to allow this to function in my life anymore, because anything that you tolerate will never leave your life. So you have to get fed up and say, no, I'm cutting this thing off, and even say it out loud, get away, whatever that thing might be, And break from it. And look what happens when you do. Verse 23 then he will give the rain for your seed, not before, after your obedience. Now, the blessings of God are a result, or you could even say are a reward of your obedience. Pastor Stephen, you mean that if I do this, God says that he'll do that? That's exactly what I mean. Because you read it all through Scripture. You read it right here. You read it in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 2, and then all the way down through verses 14, and then onward. You see what He'll do for you when you do right, and then what will happen to you when you do wrong. Praise the Lord. Verse 23. Then He will give the rain for your seed, with which you sow the ground, and the bread of the increase of the earth. It will be fat and plentiful. In that day your cattle will feed in large pastures, likewise the oxen and the young donkeys that work on the ground. Will, that work the ground will eat cured fodder, which has been winnowed or separated with the shovel and fan. So even even the work animals, uh, the oxen, the donkeys, they're eating really good food and everything. The, you've got large pastures, you got a whole bunch of cattle. Uh, everything's fat and plentiful and flourishing, praise the Lord. But that's because you've taken these various idols, and you've thrown them away, and you've said, get out of my life, and you've made a clean break, and you're now living for Jesus all out. And that's why verse 23 says, the moment you do that, then he will give the rain for your seed, and all of these blessings start to work. Praise God. So with God, God does not engage into a financial covenant with us until we do our part. What is a covenant? It is a deal, an agreement between two people, and the covenant is based on well-defined terms. And when you agree to those terms and you obligate yourself to them, when God sees that, then he comes in, the covenant is sealed with an oath, and God begins to do his part. You, and you know he's always going to do his part. Now, we see the same thing in the next chapter, Isaiah 31, verse 6, return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. Now, some translations just say, repent. But I like the literal word, return, come back to God. And to come back to God means that you don't just say, well, Lord, here I am. Well, that's a part of it. But you also say, I'm done with sin, messing around and fooling around with stuff I shouldn't be doing. And Lord, I'm now serious about living for you and learning what you require of me in order for me to please you. So return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted for in that day. Every man shall throw away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, sin, which your own hands have made for yourselves. So get rid of the idols, get rid of any form of sin and look at the very next verse. Can you believe this? Then Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of man. Well, that's good because the Assyrian military was almost unbeatable. God says, "That's not a problem. They, I can make them completely collapse. You may not be able to have the military strength to overthrow them. That's not the issue. The issue is your resent, is your sin. So, get rid of all idolatry, all sin. Return to me, and when you do that, then Assyria or whatever enemy you might be facing, whatever." Uh, evil attack of the devil you might be facing. Then Assyria shall fall by a sword not of man, and a sword not of mankind shall devour him. But he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall become forced labor. Who would have ever thought that could happen to Assyria? But it will happen to any enemy of the Lord's people. When the people return to the Lord, the enemies begin to fall. Praise God. So God God requires, God even demands our obedience. Hallelujah. And we have the choice to serve Him and to live for Him, and that's exactly what we're going to do. And one more scripture, there's so many of these in the Bible, Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 5, concerning King Isaiah. It says, He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Woo! Seeking the Lord, finding out what pleases him. And, of course, you've got the prophet Zechariah helping you out, explaining visions and supernatural things. You have the priest teaching the law. And so everything's working the way it should. And when you're seeking the Lord... God brings prosperity. So obedience is rewarded by the Lord with blessing. Woo. Praise God. That is scriptural. So let, let us be obedient to the Lord. Let's honor God. And let us now bring the tithe and the offering into the storehouse of the Lord. For many of you, this will be the first time this year you have brought the, uh, the blessing into the house of the Lord. So let's honor God. Now, if you're going to mail in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, Our zip code is 28654. And as you know, the post office is just right over there. I could take a baseball and throw it. (laughs) I won't do that. It's federal property, right? But I could hit the post office from here. It's that close by. We receive your mail and bring it in, and uh, it's prayed over, and uh, we praise God for your giving and your support. Now, for many of you, you prefer to do your giving electronically, and you can do that by visiting the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There's a link on the homepage of the ministry website. It has a red heart on it. It says, Give. And you can go right there and give. And you can do so no matter where you live at in the world. And you can bring it in online. Praise God. Anytime, day or night, that's the blessing of the Internet and all of these various uh, technical resources that allow us to be able to give praise God over the internet. And so you can do that right now as well. So let me pray for you heavenly father, as your people are giving and as they're rejoicing and they are having a good time in your spirit anticipating great things for the unfolding of this year. We just thank you father God that we are determined to walk in obedience. And Father, if there would be any that would struggle, uh, perhaps not with a little statue made of silver or something like that, but yet would have some other um, uh, weak area in their life, let let them throw that thing away today and say, no more, get out of my life. And they'll speak to it and throw it out. And we thank you, Father, for victory, that it will not be picked up again, not only in this year, but in any other year to come. they are. Free. And Father, we give you praise. We thank you that you reward your people with blessing, with peace, with prosperity, with joy, with wisdom, with anointing. We give you praise for the blessings of obedience, which we so joyfully choose to walk in, in Jesus' name. And we all agree today and say, Amen. Woo! Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hmm. Well, let's take our Bibles for a moment and mark our takeoff place today, which which is going to be in James chapter five. In just a moment, I want to talk about one of the great names of the Lord. And, uh, you know, there are the compound Jehovah names of God, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, etc. etc. Today we're going to talk about the Lord of Sabaoth. And uh, many uh, Christians have misunderstood that statement. They think it's referring to the Lord of the Sabbath. And uh, James, of course, is not talking about the Sabbath at all in the context of what he's mentioning. And that's not even what that means. So we're going to talk today about the Lord of Sabaoth. And I'm believing that this year, at the beginning of this year, you're going to have an encounter, an engagement with the Lord of Sabaoth. Praise God. So. Let's uh, prepare our hearts for that message in just a moment. And let's pray. I want to share something with you. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your word, and as we jump into uh, prophetic uh, understandings of things, we just thank you for your spirit of wisdom and revelation flowing, opening the scriptures, and even giving us understanding of the times, the seasons in which we live, and what our response should be. Praise God. Now, I want to share something. Let me turn over to my notes uh, real quickly here, and of course I minister as an as as a pastor to many. But you have to understand that what I'm going to share with you, and and many of the things I share with you, are not just pastoral; they're actually prophetic. And Jesus said, when you receive a prophet. You can receive the prophet's reward. Praise the Lord. So I want I want to share something today, and it will it will have an impact for certain ones. Now the message will have an impact for whoever will receive it. But remember, the the prophetic word must be received from the prophet. And if you believe the prophet's word, you'll get the you'll get the reward. Hallelujah. You'll get the manifestation of that prophecy coming to pass in your life, and you'll just begin also to enjoy all of the privileges of belonging to that prophetic flow and understanding it. And God's very big on this, on this area. Praise God. So let me share something that happened and I want to present it to the body of Christ, particularly those that live in uh, a particular state and in some various cities. Praise God. Uh, I had a I had an email the other day that was something that required my urgent attention and required me to travel out of state. So I got this email late in the day and I actually got it just before we were going to have our ministry team Christmas party. And so we were uh, driving to the Christmas party and I'm actually driving exactly in the opposite direction of where I found out I just have got to be. Well, anyhow, we go ahead and have the Christmas party. We have a a wonderful time. But the whole time I'm sitting there, I know that as soon as this is over, I've got to go back to the house, grab a few things, and I've got to drive all night long and all the next day, 24 hours, as much as straight through as I can to get somewhere that I need to be uh, concerning something very special that needed to be done. And I honestly have to say, I have been had... Something like this happened in a long, long time. And it may not happen again for another 20 years. That's okay. But it required me to start driving immediately. So I got on the road that night driving. The Christmas party was over. Had a wonderful time in fellowship. 10 o'clock that night, though, I had my vehicle filled up with fuel. Threw a few things in the back seat. And I'm on the road driving all night long. Praise God. Driving Where? To the mountains of Colorado, and I've got to go to Colorado to uh, bring help and some deliverance in a certain area, and so the Holy Spirit impressed upon me: don't drive, excuse me, don't don't fly, drive. And I'm really glad I drove because uh, of several reasons. One, it gave me a ton of time to pray in the Holy Spirit, and number two, I had no idea that the airlines would start canceling flights by the hundreds because of the uh, Omicron or whatever it's called, virus that they say is breaking out and so forth. So if I would have flown, I could have gotten stranded, wouldn't have made it back for Christmas or anything like that. And so I drove, although that meant, (laughs) let's see, how many miles was it? About 1,500 miles in uh, uh, each direction. So I drove out there, and then I drove back. Okay, so let me tell you what happened when I drove out there. I started driving at 10 o'clock at night, and I I felt pretty good, actually. You know, I, uh, I've always been a person that if I have to drive at night, as long as I'm not tired, I actually enjoy it because there's not much traffic. And I know many of you know what I'm talking about. It can be very uh, pleasant and soothing and relaxing. So at about 10 o'clock at night, right on the money, I head out and I start my long journey, leaving here from North Carolina and beginning the journey all the way to Colorado. And I'm driving and driving, got laid into the night, kept on going after midnight, kept on going after one or after two. And uh, I was talking in tongues the entire time. Well, eventually I got a little tired and pulled over and uh, caught a few hours of sleep at a rest area. And then I, I didn't even check into a hotel. I just rested for a few hours, boom, and just get going again, get back on the road again and start talking in tongues. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm demonstrating. <laughs> okay. So I'm just talking in tongues and driving. And I'm not, uh, and not, nothing wrong with this, but I'm not listening to music. I'm not listening to teachings or anything like that. I actually tried to maybe listen to a few teachings. There was no anointing. There was only an anointing to pray in the spirit. So I'm just praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit, hour after hour, after hour, after hour. And when you pray in the spirit, your, your natural mind doesn't really engage in that because it is your spirit communicating with God. So your mind is just relaxed, but you know what? Your mind needs to break anyhow. So I'm just praying in tongues. I'm praying out loud, drinking water, drink a Coca-Cola or something like that. and Just keep on driving. Well, I kept on doing that hour after hour after hour after hour and eventually got to the outskirts of St. Louis, Missouri. Get ready. I want to share what happened. When I got to the outskirts of St. Louis and I, I saw the gold not, not the golden arch. I guess I'm thinking of McDonald's, right? The golden arches. No, I didn't see that. But I did see the St. Louis arch. I saw the downtown area. And I'm on uh, the interstate that kind of loops past all of that. But the moment I began to get into what we would call the city of St. Louis, I began to smell the overwhelming smell of cotton candy. And for, you know, maybe 20 seconds, I thought, wow, Lord, what a absolutely beautiful, pleasing smell. I guess there must be a really large candy factory around here. That's actually what I thought. (laughs) Now, I had all the windows up. I've got, um, I didn't have the air conditioner on. It was kind of cool, uh, but I had, I had um, the vent closed. So it's just recirculating fresh air on the inside. So I'm still smelling cotton candy. And I said, Lord, there must be a candy factory or something around here. But I kept on driving. You know, St. Louis is big. You can't get past St. Louis in five minutes or 10 minutes. It probably took about, about uh, I would say, close to 20 minutes to drive from one side where you kind of get into it and to the other side where you're clear of it. Okay, for the entire 20 minutes, I smelt the overwhelming, most beautiful, pleasing fragrance of cotton candy. Well, it took about a minute when it started happening to realize, oh, this is supernatural. This, there's no candy factory, or if there is. That's not what's causing it. This is a supernatural fragrance of cotton candy that I'm smelling. And I thought this is this is really really interesting. Now, as many of you know, I've written a book called Supernatural Fragrances, and in the book I explain uh, the meaning of the spiritual meaning of cotton candy, what that is referring to prophetically when you're smelling that smell in the spirit. Okay, well, I got past St. Louis after about 20 minutes. And, you know, I've basically gotten out of it, and the cotton candy has gone. So that was a 20-minute manifestation of a supernatural fragrance. Well, I drove for a few more minutes, and I had to go to the bathroom. And so I pulled over to a truck stop rest area and uh, rested for a few minutes. I filled up my gas again because I was, I was uh, covering a lot of miles. Excuse me while I drink some water. And uh, then, when I was ready to roll, because I only stopped for a few minutes, got on that on ramp, left, left the gas station, got on the on ramp, got right on that interstate I seventy. Now, from St. Louis to Kansas City, if I'm correct, it's like 247 miles, and it's a straight shot pretty much. And when I was getting on to the I seventy, after just having had this 20 minute supernatural experience, as I was getting on the I seventy. The thought just came to me and I expressed it out loud. I said, Well, Lord, you've shown me something about St. Louis. Lord, what do you have in store for Mike Bickle and IHOP? Because that's the next stop. I'm going right up that interstate, straight shot to Kansas City. And I just came to me, you know, IHOP, International House of I know many of you think pancakes, but it also <laughs> represents the International House of Prayer. <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. And I said, Well, Lord. What do you have for Mike Bickle and IHOP? Keep in mind that till this day, I I don't know Mike Bickle, and I I think I've only met one person in my life that actually even went to IHOP. So um, I met that person here about two years ago, but uh, I don't know where he went to. Anyhow, so it's not like I have a vested interest. It just it just came to me, and I thought, well, that's a wonderful ministry, Lord. What do you have for Mike Bickle and IHOP? And the moment I, I said that out loud, as I'm on that I-70, hitting towards Kansas City, a meteorite, a huge one, you could call it like a shooting star, came right over me. And I looked up, and I saw it coming. I saw it go right past me. It went right up that I-70, and it was hitting straight towards Kansas City. Now, let me check my... Um, my words for a second on the use of the correct term of meteorite, meteor, and all, that, uh, all of that stuff. I have my little scientific page here. Uh, uh, and actually, it looks like I closed it out by accident. But if I'm correct, uh, a meteor is, is a big rock, you know, that's flying through space. And if it's coming to the earth, and it's going through the atmosphere, and it burns up, it's called a meteor, Okay. But if it goes through the atmosphere and there's still a big part of it, it's called a meteorite. I, I think I've got that right. So me, there's a difference between a meteorite and meteor. But let me just say this, this flaming rock, this shooting star comet, whatever you want to call it's coming right towards Kansas city. And I knew it was heading towards IHOP and it is not going to burn up. It's going to go through the atmosphere and it's going to make an impact. And, I'm seeing spiritually here. Now, I saw it with my eyes wide open, but I knew the Lord was symbolizing what that is referring to. Okay, so let me give you my my prophetic take on this. And keep in mind, I'm not sharing these things from a pastor's perspective. I'm sharing these things from from the perspective of a prophet's ministry that God has ordained me to stand in. Whenever you smell cotton candy, It means wrap up what you're doing, because you're right at the end of what you're supposed to be doing, and you're going to start doing something new, which is normally moving in the spirit with miracles, signs, and wonders. I was ministering once in South Carolina, and I'd been preaching for about 40 minutes, and suddenly the smell of cotton candy just came into the room, and the bishop Sitting up on the platform in the in the bishop's chair, who was the pastor over the church, he said he said I'm smelling cotton candy. He said, What does that mean? I said, Oh, that means I need to stop preaching, wrap this part up, and start ministering in the spirit because God's ready to move and minister to the people. And uh, he's like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, go right ahead. Well, I did, and closed out my preaching portion of my ministry, then began to minister uh, the people prophetically, laying hands on them, praying for the sick, ministering in the spirit. And many that I touched that night in the anointing were caught up in the visions and they had heavenly encounters. Many of them were just lay out on the floor as God would show them things and uh, reveal uh, divine things to them. Many had angelic encounters and so forth. So it was very beautiful. But basically, that's what the cotton candy means. And I want to say this to every pastor that believes in the power of God and believes in God's miracle ability. They're in St. Louis. Give the Holy Spirit time and opportunity and step out and minister to the people, and God will back what you're doing now through divine commission and will perform miracles as you minister to the sick, as you pray to the sick. All types of, of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to begin to manifest if you will step out. Now, many of you know, for ministers and preachers, it can become very, very comfortable with just preaching. You can, you can get behind a pulpit and preach, or you can stand in front of the group and preach, but you can get so comfortable with preaching that you never really take that step of faith and just stop preaching after you've done that and say, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I want to encourage the men and women of God in St. Louis that the Lord has shown me that that wrap up that those segments of teaching. And when you're, as soon as you're done with that, give the Holy spirit opportunity and step out and watch God do miracles through you. Praise the Lord. Now I told my wife about this, about what happened to me when I was driving. And of course, You know, I'm I'm giving my wife updates every night on, you know, my journey and so forth. And uh, she said, Stephen, she said, "Uh, what you're telling me, she said, I'm getting a song concerning St. Louis. It's a song by Judy Garland called Meet Me in St. Louis. And I I said, well, I've never heard of that before. So just before I came to give you this message today, uh, Kelly gave me the words to the song. And let me share those with you. Oh, and by the way, here's my astrological terms. It appears that a meteorite is a meteor that hits earth without burning up in the atmosphere. All right. So everybody in Kansas city, a meteorite is coming and I believe there is going to be a spiritual impact. I want to talk about that in just a moment. Let's get back to the song. Meet me in St. Louis Sung by Judy Garland. Okay. Um, And this is why I want to give you the lyrics to this song because uh, prophet Bob Jones taught that the fragrance of cotton candy comes last because you're supposed to stop or finish what you're doing because God's ready to move. And he said, he explained that because that fragrance comes because in fairs, which we don't have many fairs today. But in olden days, in fairs, they would always put the cotton candy at the end of the fair line. Okay, so you go through the fair, and why do they do that? Because they want you to walk all through the fair. Why? Because they know you want the cotton candy. So you you come into the fair, and there's, the, there's all the attractions and all the rides, but you're doing what? You're looking for the cotton candy. Why do they put the restrooms in the back of the home improvement stores, or in the grocery stores? They put them in the back, because if you need to go, they want you you to walk through the whole store to get there, and hopefully stop and buy something along the way. So the cotton candy always comes at the end of the fair, and this is the song that Kelly uh, got from the Holy Spirit. Meet me in St. Louis, and these are the wor- these are the lyrics to it. When Louis came home to the flat, he hung up his coat and his hat. He gazed all around, but no wifey he found. So he said, "Where can Flossie be at?" A note on the table he spied. He read it just once, then he cried. It ran. Louie, dear, it's too slow for me here, so I think I will go for a ride. Meet me in St. Louis, Louie. Meet me at the fair. Don't tell me the lights are shining any place but there. We will dance to hoochie-coochie. I will be your tootsie-wootsie. If you will meet me in St. Louis, Louie, meet me at the fair. There's another stanza. But that just helps you to understand the thrust of that song, Meet Me at the Fair. The fair is where you have the cotton candy. The cotton candy comes last. Every minister in St. Louis, God is ready to move in miracles and signs and wonders. Hallelujah. All you have to do now Is step out and go for it and God will flow through you. Don't don't just preach the whole service and then close and everything's over with. No, preach and shorten your message and give the Holy Spirit time to move, and you're gonna see God do amazing miracles through you. Now, this is what the Lord showed me. Once this move of the Spirit is completed in St. Louis, and when it runs the prophetic course that God has destined for it to run. The moment that, is, that phase is completed, that anointing and that power of God is going to rocket. It's going to shoot to Kansas City, and there is going to be a mighty impact that will take place in the churches of Kansas City, particularly at IHOP, because that's what I had asked the Lord about. So everybody at IHOP, um, get hopping. And get ready, because when you see, when you see things, the anointing begin to move from St. Louis, uh, or that begins, you can tell it's wrapping up, then it's going to come, and it's going to be, it's going to be an impact. It's going to be just as if an asteroid hit the city, <laughs> which would cause <laughs> a lot of ruckus. Praise God. All right, so get ready. Keep an eye on on St. Louis. And my friends, remember St. Louis in so many ways is the Rep- is representative of the spirit of America, the heart of America. And when you see the spirit of God moving in St. Louis, in these churches and the power of God being poured out, note, note that that is a sign that God wants to heal this nation. Amen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Glory. Glory to God. So Father, I pray for every pastor in St. Louis that they step out in faith and boldness They may not feel any type of special anointing as they do it, but it will come. That anointing will come, and miracles are going to be easy for them. There will be dramatic healings. There will be verified authentic miracles, and there will be many salvations. And, Father, we give you praise. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And, Father, we thank you for what you have prepared for IHOP, for Pastor Mike Bickle, who is an apostle, who is a prophet, Lord bless them and the work that they're doing. We thank you. Hallelujah. And Lord, we thank you for every other believer, so many churches and believers in this great state and around the world, Lord, if your people are hungry. So Lord, let the visitation begin to roll. We give you glory in Jesus name. Amen. Woo. Praise the Lord hallelujah. And as you can see, I did complete my journey. <laughs> I kept on going uh, all the way to Colorado, praying in tongues the whole time, and pretty much in tongues all the way back. And uh, it was a very special event. Uh, by the way, I even when I was praying in tongues on the way up there, uh, I, I said, Lord, um, I said, I'm starting to have flashbacks of, uh, uh, you know, like almost 30 years ago when I When when I drove from Texas to California, and I did the whole thing praying in tongues, and I had those supernatural encounters, I mean, I said, Lord, I'm starting to, this is starting to feel like you set me up this for again, because I was driving to the mountains, it was another type of a situation where there was a full moon out at night, and it was, all that was going on, and I'm praying in tongues and all of that, and and in many ways, it was similar, it was different, and you know, what? with supernatural encounters, you cannot fabricate them. In other words, if you went to a hotel and you had a great visitation while you're at that hotel, it's not like you can go back to the hotel, check into the same room again, and push the button, and then it happens all over again. No, it doesn't work like that. But uh, this was one of those rare situations where the Holy Spirit was just riding on me in, in in a grace just to pray nonstop in tongues, just keep going and going like that. And, of course, he brought forth Reve- uh, Revelation. The trip was extremely successful, extremely blessed by God. And, uh, and I'm back, and it's always good to be back at your home base. Praise the Lord. All right, today, let's go over to James chapter 5. We're going to talk about encountering the Lord of Sabiath. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Mm-mm. Praise God. Heavenly Father, illuminate your word by your spirit in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, I want to say that as we're going to look at James chapter 5, that that years back I had a talk with Neville Johnson, uh, an apostle from Australia. Now, Neville uh, was an Englishman, but he ended up moving to Australia, a great apostle of the Lord. But I think uh, that out of all of his apostolic work, I think still most people knew and knew him and loved him for the prophetic anointing he had and I've I've stood next to him and saw him minister to the people and tell all kinds of intimate secrets about their lives and so forth he was very gifted the gift was very very real and Neville had had told me that when we move further into the end times, when the church moves further into the end times, we will begin a further focus on the last books that are in the Bible. Those of course would be books like James first and second Peter first and second, third John Jude and revelation, because we're going to need a greater understanding of the end times to to be safe and secure in the end times. So our focus will begin to go into these latter books, and we're going to begin to even see this today concerning the book of James. James 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl, for your miseries that are coming upon you. Well, James is riding along under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he seems to shift gears suddenly. And my friends, that's prophetic spontaneity. Hallelujah. Where you're just, you're in a theme. You're in a flow. And suddenly, you could say something, and you're like, wow, that's a little bit different. That's because the scriptures are prophetic flow. They are the voice of the Lord of God, of the, of the Lord God. And that voice is a speaking voice that is always fresh always new, but it, it's, it's timely. The prophetic word is very, very timely. If you take a word and you try to apply it out of season, it won't work. The word has to be in season. Let me say that the word that we're looking at today is now in season. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. So this is now being expressed to the wicked rich. Okay? Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. Well, uh, pure gold and pure silver won't corrode, although they can, uh, they can get, you know, like that... that um, They can oxidize, in a sense, on the surface, like silver. If you leave silver sitting out for a long period of time, it may seem to have a little greenish something-other on it. Well, that'll wipe out, uh, wipe off. But they will corrode if there's alloys in them, because that corrosion would be from the alloys themselves, not from the gold and silver. Your gold and silver are corroded. Back in those days, it was very hard to get a real high... Separation of gold from these other alloys. Now, today you can get gold or silver that's 99.999% pure. Then, in other words, I got all the all the junk out of it. But back in those days, 2,000 years ago or so, they did not have some of those uh, applications that we now have available or have figured out that give us the ability to do that. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. I was watching a show uh, a couple of weeks back and uh, a man, a man brought a bar of gold into a store that bought, you know, uh, you know, used metal and used gold. And he bought a bar of gold into the store and said, I want to sell this to you and I want you to, you know, pay me for it. And so the guy weighs this weird-looking bar of gold, and uh, I can't remember how many ounces it was. It was maybe like uh, you know twenty ounces, or maybe I think it was more. But um, you know, the person working there at the store said, "Hey, this is a really strange-looking bar of gold. Where did you get this at?" He goes, "Well, I don't know where it really came from." He said, "My father gave it to me many, many years ago." So the the, the buyer is looking at the the bar of gold. And he says, there's something growing on it. And on the bottom, he said, that looks like coral. Uh, You know, coral, of course, would grow in the oceans in the salt water. And the bar had some stamps on it. It had two X's on it. He said, well, before I buy this from you, I'd better find out, you know, a little bit more information about this gold. Let me have somebody look at this who knows something about it. So they brought an expert in. And the expert looked at it. He said, oh, he said, this gold has come from a shipwreck. And the two X's on it right here, that's the stamp that the uh, the Spanish would put on their gold back in the medieval ages. Whenever they're transporting gold, That would have those two X's on it like that. And the reason it obviously has coral on it, because the ship must have sunk. <laughs> so whoever got this gold, got it out you know, from a, a shipwreck, and thus here it is today. But you could see like the gold almost looked like corroded. It's it's got stuff growing on it, and it it looked different. But uh, it says here in the Scripture that it will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is referring to the wicked rich. You have heaped up treasure, and that word treasure in the In the Greek means deposits of wealth. You have piled it up, stored it up, heaped up treasure, deposits of wealth in the last days. Now, there are some who have said, you know, I'm not really sure if there is an end time wealth transfer. I don't really see anything about it in the New Testament. My friends, there's so much in the word of God that if it's biblical and scriptural, if we dig around, uh, you'll you'll find it layered throughout scripture. But notice that the treasure, these deposits of wealth that have been pulled together by the wicked and piled up that it has been done in the last days. Woo! I'm telling you, we are looking at the, the Lord moving in a transfer of wealth in the last days. See, these are prophetic scriptures. These are prophetic scriptures for a specific time. What time would that be, Pastor Stephen? The last days. Woo! Glory to God. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, Now, the word fraud is very interesting because fraud, the definition of fraud is wrongful or criminal deception intended to result in financial or personal gain. You know, there are so many different types of fraud. Uh, If you go to the FBI website website. You probably wouldn't want to, but if you just had free time and thought, well, let me let me take a look. The FBI lists all of the various forms of fraud. And so you have the headers of all these various types of fraud and then subheaders of all the different categories that breaks off into. And so you have you have mail fraud and you have you have bank fraud and you have uh, money laundering fraud and you got on and on it goes. You have corporate fraud, you know, individual fraud, national fraud. <laughs> it's just incredible how much fraud there is. And again, what is fraud? It is wrongful or criminal deception intended to result in financial or personal gain. And so this fraud, my friends, the Lord is going to address. So what you kept back by fraud cries out. So the wages of the laborers, there's a crying out. What is the crying out for? Well, we see earlier that in verse three, your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness. Now, when you see words like witness and words like fraud, we're beginning to look at courtroom type scenarios where a judge is going to make a ruling. And that's actually what is going on here. So there is the crying out, the cries of the reapers. These are the ones that are the innocent ones that are crying out and saying, we were robbed, we were defrauded, we were cheated, we were done wrong, and nothing up to this point has been done about it. Lord, what are you going to do? Mm -mm. It says, the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Now, the Lord of Sabaoth, not the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, We're not talking here in a context of a discussion of the Sabbath. But the Lord of Sabaoth is a transliteration of the Lord of Hosts sometimes known as the Lord of armies. So what we're seeing here of the usage of Lord of Host, Lord of Sabaoth is the similarity of a judge on the throne. The charge is presented. The guilty are called. The witnesses are presented. The innocent present their pleas for justice. Their cries enter the ears of the Lord of Host who is the judge that is going to do something about this situation of all of this uh, fraudulent wealth and treasure that has been heaped up for what for the last days. And we have been talking about Proverbs 13 verse 22 and how the Holy Spirit showed me that twenty. 22 is the year in which the Lord is going to begin to move and the wealth of the wicked is going to begin to be transferred into the possession of the righteous for the purpose of preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. Hallelujah. This is not the only year that this will happen, but this will be the year where it begins to roll. Unlike anything we have seen before, I want you to be positioned for this. Now, think about the names of God from the Old Testament perspective jehovah Roe jehovah shama jehovah shalom there's ve- there's basically eight of the primary compound names of God, but you think in the New Testament we really don 't see uh, those old testament jehovah names. Over in the New Testament. But my friends, right here in James chapter 5, we do see the uh, Lord of Hosts, Jehovah Savah, or if we want to say it technically, Jehovah, because there's no J in the Hebrew, Jehovah Savah. Mm-mm. Translated as Lord of Hosts, right here, there it is, Jehovah Savah. Lord of hosts in the New Testament. Now, uh, Paul also refers to Lord of Sabaoth or Lord of hosts in the book of Romans, but he is quoting from the Old Testament. But right here, James just calls him out directly, the Lord of hosts, praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, why is that name used? Because so often in the minor prophets, you see the Lord of hosts mentioned over and over and over and over and over again. And what is the context? The Lord of hosts is going to bring judgment against these nations that were initially allowed by God to punish his people for their disobedience, but they went way too far and they went way overboard. And now God is going to see to it that justice is done and there's retribution. Mm-mm, praise God. Now, Lord of Sabaoth, Jehovah, Savah, Lord of host, translated by many theologians as Lord of Armies. Now, I know in Pentecostal charismatic type circles, uh, for example, That uh, a lot of preachers like to say, Captain of the Angelic Armies. You know, that sounds real cool. And it is. (laughs) And that certainly is something that would be included in this category. But technically, the ancient Jewish, excuse me, the ancient Jewish rabbis have always considered Jehovah Savah, Lord of Hosts, to be the Lord of all armies. I'll show you an amazing verse Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, let's go down to verse 18. Listen to this verse. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt. And for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, they will Come, and all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rocks and on all thorns and in all pastures. So you could say it like this. The Lord of hosts is the captain of the army of flies. And if he whistles for the flies to come, every single fly is coming out of Egypt, out of anywhere, and they'll all show up. And if he calls for the bees, which he did here for the flies and the bees, every single bee, you better watch out because they're on their way. Why? He's the captain of the army of the flies. He's the captain of the army of the bees. He's the captain over any army. I remember one time watching a documentary about the, the ship Calypso, piloted or captained by the famous mariner and researcher Jacques Cousteau. And uh, they had a, one series that uh, I guess it was kind of like a, a spinoff, and it was, wasn't watched as much as the main documentary series, but this one uh, sub-series was actually more interesting, kind of some of the stories they didn't tell on the mainline TV shows. And one of the guys on the ship said that uh, they were out in the Pacific Ocean, way out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean one time on the Calypso, And they were going somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. And he said, we came across a site that we still have no explanation for even till this day. He said, as we were going through the water, we saw what looked like a river of something moving, going through the ocean. And as we got up to it, we realized it was nothing but a gigantic uh, innumerable number of sea snakes that were all going through the water, he said it went from horizon to horizon as far as you could see, and he said it was really far across. And they were down pretty deep too. It was it was like a river of them, and they're moving as far as you could even see. He said some of them were larger than a man's body. Their their width and so forth. And he said we took the ship Calypso and we actually drove it through the middle of their. Of like their river. We drove it through the middle of them and it, it it just for a few seconds disrupted them and stopped them. But as soon as we cut through them, they joined back up again and kept right on going. And he said there must have been millions and millions and millions of them. He said, We don't know where they were coming from, and we don't know where they were going. Well, I don't really know where they came from either, but I know one thing: the Lord must have called for them. Pastor Stephen, why will he call why why would he call for the sea snakes? I don't know. Why would he call for a fly or a bee? I don't know, but I do know this. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the captain of all the armies. They all respond to him. Praise the Lord. And of course, he is the captain of the angelic armies. And we are going to see the angels begin to move, to shake the wealth of the wicked, and it will flow into the hands of the righteous who will use it for the Lord's intended purposes. Now, many of those that, will, that are going to release this wealth, many will become saved. And now that their hearts are born again and they love God, they're going to release these, these vast reserves that they have piled up. And a lot of it is, um, it's bad money. It's like maybe uh, lives were lost or people were killed over it. But nevertheless, these funds are going to be released. And they're uh, the first thing. First thing as a recipient, pay your taxes, pay all federal taxes, pay all state taxes, be straight up and honest with everything. And then the next thing you do honor the Lord with the tithe and offering. Praise God. Do it all by the book, my friends, and God is going to move in very, very unusual ways. There are uh, new categories of angels that are being released even now into the earth because this is what we're coming into for 2022 to cause this wealth transfer to take place. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, I would like to take you very quickly to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 20, and let's go down to verse 12, and I want to give some wisdom concerning what we're talking about with end time, wealth transfer, and these types of things. Um, This is something that's very serious in the spirit realm, this is something you can't take lightly. This is not for everybody. This is for what I would call the remnant. Even when Elijah the prophet called out and said, Lord, I'm the only one left. They've killed all the other prophets. I'm the only one that's still holding the line and still holding true. And the Lord says, Elijah, I've got 7,000 that have never bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed his Filthy lips. Woo. Praise God. Amen. So this is for the remnant. Hallelujah. Mm -mm. And so whenever you touch the areas of God's wisdom, wisdom will always carry an instruction or certain things that we need to know and we need to obey. Praise God. We're going to see that beginning in verse 12. Let's look concerning the life of King Hezekiah. At that time, Baradoc, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Isn't that nice? He sent some letters and some flowers and a hallmark card and said, I hope you get well soon. And Hezekiah was attentive to them. And showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, they came from a far country, from Babylon. Remember, Babylon means confusion. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, see, look, you're going to have to have somebody that'll talk straight to you not just being some kind of a giddy, silly mood, you know, uh, well, we just well, want everybody to be happy all the time. Look, you, uh, the price tag of stupidity is, is a price that nobody can pay. Praise the Lord. We must walk in wisdom. Not only must you walk in it, you must major in wisdom in these end times to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Worse than that, he goes on to say, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. My goodness, my friends, when the Lord is doing very special things, supernatural things. We're talking about James chapter five. We're talking about wealth transfer, learn, learn, learn the language of silence, learn the language of wisdom of when to conceal a matter and when things should not be Shown those envoys were spies and they're wanting to find out what is his reserves? What is his military strength? What kind of armory do they have? Do they have any special uh, advanced technology we don't know about? Uh, Let's find out what they have. Why they're going to go take all of it by force and they're going to bring it back. My friends, you have to be very careful in this area of money that you don't uh, you don't attract attention that you don't, that you don't need. You have to, you have to die to any kind of silly flamboyancy or kind of any kind of like a a celebrity wannabe kind of imagery or something like that. All of that stuff has got to be put at the cross of Christ and nailed to the cross. And there's a place you don't tell. King Hezekiah should have said, that's nice. You guys showed up. Now the whole thing, God was watching the whole thing to see what Hezekiah was going to do. He failed the whole test. He should have said, hey, it's nice you guys came to check on me. I appreciate the gift card from the king, and thanks for the box of chocolates. And yeah, as you can see, I'm feeling better, doing good. But, uh, you know, i got a lot on my schedule today, and uh, I'm not really able to host you. I'll put you in my nicest hotel, and you can head out tomorrow morning. But uh, he shouldn't have showed them anything. My friends, you have to understand that in the culture in which we live today, uh, where uh, crime and sin are, are rampant, that uh, money can just inflame people with jealousy like it has never been able to do so uh, in previous generations. There have been other generations that said, well, God bless that person. They have their wealth, but they worked for it and they earned it. But today there is a greed and there is even murder in people's hearts that would say, well, that's not right. They have all of that. We're going to, we're going to take it by force or whatever the case might be. So understand that that wealth can cause extreme jealousy, and it can happen even amongst church people. You know, I I I am well familiar with the pastor that had to tell the American missionary look, when you come to our country, don't come over here bringing all of this money and trying to help us. He said, I know that we are an undeveloped nation in the sense of what other countries have with, you know, paved streets and technology and, you know, supercomputers and all of that and sending stuff up in space. He said, we obviously don't have that. And as a church, we, we don't, we don't have much at all, but he, the pastor said, when you come over here and you bring all that money and you flash all that money, they have never in their lives seen money like that ever before. And that pastor had previously come and done that. And you're, you're talking about people that are seeing $150 in a year. That's all they make. In a whole year, and some missionary comes over and says, "Oh, my my church, my, my church headquarters has given me extra money to bless all of you. And I want to give all of you some money," and just infighting and arguing begin to break out, and then they this one, "How much did you give that one?" And I I want more, and I'll, we deserve more over here. And um, the pastor said, "Please," to the missionary, "Please." We, we love God. The, my people are not prepared for that. That's not what we need. So while there is a need for provision to preach the gospel, there must, must be wisdom in the application. And also, you don't hand keys to a little eight-year-old child. No matter how much they want to drive, you're adult automobile, uh, no matter how much they ball or squall, you don't give them the keys. Why? They don't have the responsibility. They don't have the maturity to handle a vehicle that weighs 4,000 pounds and will be moving down the highway at 70 miles an hour. That is not something they are prepared for. So you have to understand this with money, that it can be very, very persuasive, it can really move people, and you have to be rock solid, and the last thing you want to do is be flashing it all around. Look what God did for me. Look at this, what God gave to me. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy to the person that's foolish enough to behave in such an immature way. Praise God. You know, even Padre Pio, the great saint from San Giovanni Rotondo, Italy, when he was building that beautiful hospital that cost millions and millions of dollars that still stands today and ministers to so many sick people in Italy. Remember, when he built that hospital, he was a Capuchin monk. He was a friar. He had taken a vow of poverty. And the Pope and the leaders within the Catholic Church made an exception for his vow, and they said, we're going to allow all this money to flow through you because we know you don't have sticky fingers, and thus uh, we're going to allow you to do this project because we know you're going to put it all towards the thing that God has called you to do, which is to raise up this hospital. And he never took any of it for himself. And millions and millions flowed in, and he just, you know, it goes into an account, and then it goes to Build the building and pay the doctors and so forth and so forth. But would you believe that even Padre Pio's own father came to him and said, You need to give me some money. You're this famous priest and you're building this hospital that costs millions and millions of dollars. Obviously, you have a lot of money. And I, I, I left Italy when you were young and I went to America to get a good job. And I sent that money back to your mother to take care of you. And he said, I took care of you and I'm responsible to a degree to your outcome. And therefore you should give me some money. And Padre Pio said, no matter how much he tried to explain it to his father, that the money belongs to God and the money has to be used for the purposes of God alone, and that he can't touch it and he just can't start handing it out, he said, no matter how hard he tried to explain it or how much patience he tried to explain it to his father, his father could never understand it. And his father always had a grudge. He, my son, after all I did for him, wouldn't even give me any money, and he's got millions. You have to understand how this works when you're wanting to see the Lord of hosts move in your life, and you engage with the Lord of Sabaoth, and you see divine judgments decreed, and wealth begin to be transferred from the wicked into those hands that say, God, I just want to be a steward, and I want to see this used for your righteous purposes. Mm -mm. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. These things are very, very important. This is something obviously that King Hezekiah he had an issue with pride, and pride's a killer. It's, it can be a killer of destinies, and it can be a tremendous limiter in your ability to complete the calling and assignment that God has for your life. Which is why, which is why we should take a look very, very quickly. At a position that you need to enter this year standing in. Okay? Go with me very quickly. First Samuel chapter 15. We're gonna drop right down to verse 17. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. So Samuel said, he's talking to Saul. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? And so then, now that Saul has been sent on an assignment, he thinks he's somebody, and he blunders the whole thing and messes it up. And already, it's over with, in a sense, before it even begins. Now, it did run for a while, because now God has to get somebody else that's going to be the replacement. That person has to be trained and equipped. And, oh, my goodness, watch out. Watch out. For these areas of pride when you are little in your own eyes. that's the way he used to be. But there's three areas. There is the, this area when we deal with pride. There's the area of the person you think you are. And there's a lot of people that really think they're somebody. Oh, and you might wonder, why well, I wonder why they think they're so great? when they, I, I, what's up? Well, that, that's an area of pride. For some reason, they are a legend. In their own mind, <laughs> not in their own time, in their own mind. So there is the person you think you are, and there, then there is the person you want others to think you are. That's very, very dangerous to go around always trying to create an image or facade or wanting others to think that you're this or that or whatever. No, don't get caught up in that silliness. Hallelujah. And then there is the person who you really are. Are. My friends, we, we have to walk in humility and that's what got Saul off track. You know, I really think that pride is a lot like bad breath. I mean, it's, it's wild. Pride is like bad breath in the sense that everybody knows you have it except for you. It's weird. It's weird. It's a very interesting concept. So you have to watch out because the scriptures talk about being self-deceived. Matter of fact, James said that, that if you're, if you're here and not a doer, you're going to end up deceiving yourself. And when you're deceived, you can be in pride and not even know it. Uh, even if others come up and say, hey, uh, you know, your breath is really bad or, or, you know, you're really, uh you, you should, you should um, shouldn't make all these crazy boasting promises or this or that, you know, that could, uh, that could all backfire. Oh no, oh no, no, no. You know, so pride is very, very dangerous because it's when you have it, it's hard to see it. So we need to start the year humbly because this heart of humility will secure the lifting that God wants to do in our lives. And it will also stabilize us to walk in these areas of being stewards for the Lord, just like Joseph. Joseph was a steward over all of the provision that came in and he knew what to do with it. He knew how to make allocation of it. Praise God. What is in essence the true heart of humility? Well, it's the opposite of pride. Pride wants to take the credit, but one who is humble will give the glory to the Lord. And when I say give the glory to the Lord, I'm talking about you're going to give God the credit. Because while you can be smart, and God can bless your intellect, and you can work all day and all night, it's, it's God who's giving you the mind. It's God who's anointing your mind. It's God who's giving you the energy to work. It's God who gave you a body to work, and you're breathing His oxygen that He put into His earth, His planet. So really, when it's all said and done, we truly must give the Lord all the credit. It's kind of like David when he gave his own personal offerings towards the temple that his son was going to build. David made this lavish offering, and then when he's done giving the offering, he has the most incredible prayer. He said, "Lord, all these things that I've given you, this this great offering in a sense, it's just stuff that you gave me." <laughs> So Lord, I, I'm, I'm just really only giving what you gave to me. Somebody may say, well, that person really gave. Yes, God's the one that gave it to them to give it. Woo, praise the Lord. So we have to watch these areas uh, where we could drift into pride because it has many different uh, heads, many different disguises, many different forms of clothing that it can wear And when the Lord's doing these types of great things that we're talking about today that are on his prophetic calendar, you must position yourself knowing that the enemy will try to hit you in these areas. Imagine John the Baptist. Here's a guy wearing crude clothing, uh, you know, like a a leather camel skin type garment, and he's uh, living out in the desert. He's really a rough cut type guy, but yet he is so on task with what God has called him to do. He is so effective with this assignment because he's staying in the center of the lane of God's purpose for his life that people actually came up to him. Now, think about if this were you. People actually came up to John and said, are you the Christ? Can you imagine what that must have uh, been like? Oh, I I can tell you there's some people in the body of Christ that if people came up to them and said, um, We notice that you're living a very holy life, and we notice that you really are uh, bringing people to repentance. Um, are you the Messiah? Excuse me. I think there are some people that would say, well, uh, well, no, uh, I'm not really the one that, you know, he's actually going to be coming along. But I'll tell you what, I, he and I, we, we do have a lot in common, don't we? <laughs> My friends, we must give the Lord all the credit all the glory. Think about Moses, how God had to work with him. Here's a man that was raised in the palace of Pharaoh and uh, he's brought up in all of this wealth and all of this high culture and all of this education and all of this learning. What does that mean? Well, it means that in, in, in common sense, He is not really going to be able to relate to normal people as we know normal because he has had a very abnormal life. He has had a sheltered life within a palace. And it's like some of these politicians who they they live in a bubble. And they they don't even know what it's like for normal people who go to work and uh, maybe punch a time card or something like that or have to go to the grocery store and actually buy milk and eggs and bread. They are so far removed from that, they don't even know how real people function. So all they do is hang out in their little bubble Of other like-minded people, or you know, maybe it's an institutionalized type thing in a university or something like that. And the next thing you know, five years down the road, you can't even relate to what normal people are going through. And so what did God have to do with that with Moses? Because what would that produce? That produces pride in a person. I know more than you. Look where I graduated from. Have you seen these clothes? Do you know how much this suit cost? So you can create all of that. It could create an arrogance. It can create very lofty levels of pride. So, after 40 years of being brought up with all of this, uh, you know, uh, the best of the best, what does God have to do to bring a divine balance within the life of His servant? He has to send him to the back side of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere where there is no uh, high-end luxury mall, where you could go shopping at all of the, you know, you were, you know a purse costs $5,000, and the nice pair of shoes costs $3,000. None of that. None of that. Now, there was plenty of that in the palace. He could have any of that that he wanted. But it's goodbye to all of that, and it's now heading out into the desert And uh, nobody cares about you now. Nobody cares about your degree. Now God is going to have to work with you to let go of all that pride. And he's going to have to get you to lean and trust in him. Hallelujah. Because God's ways are higher. God's ways are higher than the ways of man. And while there is a great uh, emphasis that God does put upon the education of the mind and the renewing of the mind, and he wants us to be the very best that we can be within our career field. There is also that area where God wants to work in us so that he can do mighty things through us. But see, God will do these great things, but he is intent on receiving the glory. And if you ever tried to touch his glory or start taking credit, he gets very, very jealous of his glory, and he'll not share it with anybody. So that's why James said, that we must humble ourselves because God will resist the prideful and you can be a Christian and be prideful and there's going to be a divine resistance and you can be left wondering, hmm, wonder why it's not working. I'm trying to follow the word and obey the principles, but a heart attitude of pride is something that will really limit you. And many of these great things that we're talking about today Uh, The Lord would want to do it for you, but He can't do it because pride abuses power. Pride abuses money. Money, in a sense, is power, and you can use power to really hurt people. And you can use money, in a sense, to... um, cause difficulties for others. You could even turn it into a weapon in a sense. I'm not talking about a gun, but in a way that you can make things difficult for people. And that is what those that would do, even some Christians, if they were not trained by the Holy Spirit. So this year, I want you to be believing for the miracles. I want you to be looking for the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, to move in your life, and that the wealth that has been saved up for the end times has been hoarded and piled up, all of these deposits of wealth, that Proverbs 13, these wealth transfers are going to be working within the body of Christ And it's going to be used for the kingdom purpose. And we will stay humble. And for so many of you, please understand also in these types of areas, you need to also stay low profile. Stay quiet. Don't be like King Hezekiah saying, well, come on in here. Look at all of this. Look at all of this. They're going to be wanting all of that. They're going to be wanting all of that. Mm -mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, Hallelujah! This is a prophetic year. Glory to God. Walk close to the Lord because the Lord's going to take you into some things that will startle your mind of the great, weighty things He wants to do for you. And while there is a place to give a testimony, there's also a place where you realize this one I can't talk about publicly. I this might make a lot of people jealous. And so you have to use wisdom to know how to divide the Word of God properly. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. And that's that's really the primary role of the Holy Spirit. He will help you with this. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. I was listening to a minister, and uh, he knew a young man. This young man worked at a bank, and uh, he was making... um. Uh, I can't remember what it was. It was like uh, $12 an hour or something like that. And they put him over in a, uh, a, uh, a part of the bank where wire transfers would come through. And if you were overseeing these wire transfers, the bank would get a commission and the person that was doing the processing of it would also get a commission. Or they sent him over there and somebody, a, a multi-billionaire sent a transfer through and immediately, you know what his commission was? It was $8 million cash. <laughs> that doesn't count what the bank got. That's what he got just for uh, about 20 minutes of his time running this thing through. His commission for that, and I, I know banks do it differently now, uh, but his commission was $8 million. And so he went and saw the minister. And uh, the minister owned the restaurant. That might tell you who the minister was. He went over to the minister's restaurant and said, um, well, I'd like a, a bowl of soup. You have really good soup. And the minister came by the check on his restaurant, talked with him, and he ate the soup together and said, um, so uh, this bank guy told him what happened. And so, you know, the minister said, well, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a multimillionaire myself, So you're going to have to understand now that you've come into millions of dollars, all your uncles and all of your cousins are all going to want some of this. You're going to have to be quiet about this and you're going to have to take care of this the right way. You're going to have people coming out of the woodwork, uh, wanting, uh, uh, money from you now, now, that if the, if they know you have it. So you have to walk in wisdom, my friends. Praise God. And we're moving. We're moving further into the last days, which means we're moving further into these latter books of the Bible that give us instruction concerning the last days. Praise God. Now, I want to ask you to lift your hands. Heavenly Father, this is the first message that I'm preaching in the year 2022. And Father God, I thank you for the prophetic anointing that you're placing upon it. And I see some of your people, they're going to come into sudden wealth, and it will be times where just overnight, it will seem like for some, it will be literally overnight, but there is going to be a transfer, and you're going to show them what they're supposed to do with it, because Lord, we know that the Lion of Judah gets the lion's share. Thank you, Father God. And that statement will ring in their spirit when the event happens, and they'll know what it's for. Woo, praise you, Father God. And I thank you, Father God, that what you're going to do, you're going to so validate your word that these will not be, these will not be one hit wonders where a person has it happened once. And then maybe somebody might say, well, you know, that could have been luck. But no, Father, we are tying in the principles, and there will be those who will experience this two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And they will learn uh, to walk in this and even have a faith developed for it, because seven means that it will be ongoing. Now, Father, we give you praise. Hallelujah. We give you all of the glory and honor. And Father, while in many ways, this is like moving around with um, highly radioactive materials, we have to be careful with how we deal with this. We thank you, though, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That your Holy Spirit is in us, leading us and guiding us. And we stand ready for the end time harvest to be active and to have our role to play in it. Now, Father, we bless you. Father, I ask for encounters, for your people to have encounters with the head of the angelic armies. With the head of all of the armies that every, uh, everyone in that army would bow their knee to. The great commander in chief. Jehovah Savah, the Lord of Sabaoth. Let your people have encounters with the Lord of hosts. Now, Father, we give you praise and for the many angels, innumerable angels that work underneath him. Father, we give you permission to release the angels and we ask, O oh God, to send now the angels of wealth transfer, and let the provision begin to transfer from the wicked, wicked people that would use it for very detrimental means to harm humanity and to even hurt people. Let it, O oh God, come to the righteous who will use it for your kingdom cause. Let your angels move it like water into the right direction, into the right uh, containers. Father, we give you praise. Thank you, O oh God, for the fulfillment of of these prophetic scriptures in Jesus name we pray and we all say, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, if you're watching today's program and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior, I plead with you. Do not wait another day. Do not live another day in sin or in a position of being spiritually dead. Call out to the Lord right now. Pray this prayer after me, and Jesus will save your soul right now. Say, Lord Jesus, save me. Give me your new life. Jesus, I repent and turn from all of my sin. I throw it away. Jesus, come into my heart. Wash me with your blood. Write my name in your book of life. Step into my life and lead me and guide me from this day forward. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Your prayer has gone into the ear of the Lord of hosts, and He has heard your prayer, and He has saved your soul. Now live for Him. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. My friends, let's take Holy Communion. I use these little bitty cups and got the grape juice on one end and the little bitty wafer on the other end. You can buy these online. Just, you know, go to a search engine and type in, uh, you know, portable communion cups or whatever. And you'll pull them up. Hallelujah. These are great for traveling. I take these with me when I travel. And I use these sometimes because while sometimes you'll see my nice cup, my fancy communion cup and my bread, I also want to use these and let you see these because it doesn't matter what you pour it into or what kind of a plate you put it on. What matters is that you receive it in faith as the flesh and the blood of Christ. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it and we consecrate it as being holy and set apart through this prayer. And we thank you, Father God, that this is now the flesh and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We give you praise. And Father, as we receive the body, the body of Jesus, O God, his flesh, Lord, let us walk in your wisdom, O God. Let us, let, let us know when our lips should be sealed. Hallelujah. And also when we should give a praise and a hallelujah and a full testimony to others to encourage them. O Lord, we give you praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we anticipate miracles, great miracles this year. And as we receive the flesh of the Lord Jesus, oh God, we thank you for encounters with the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies. We give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. Let's receive the body of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for the blood, the blood of Jesus. And Father, while you want us to be confident people, confident in who we are in you, we thank you also for the heart attitude of little in our own eyes. And Father, we choose to walk in humility, and we choose to steer clear of prideful attitudes, expressions, and so forth. Even, even as your scripture says, the haughty look, the arrogant look. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for humility, because you can do most with least. Oh, God, we give you praise. We give you all the glory. Lord, To help us to be mindful this year on every good thing, on everything, to give you all the praise, to give you all the credit for your goodness. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we commit this year into your hands. We ask for your wisdom, your anointing, your grace, your favor, divine encounters. Hallelujah. Angelic help. Father God, all that we need to go into this year, in the journey through this year, and to do all that you called us to do this year. We thank you, Father, for your grace. We thank you for your anointing. And we thank you that your angels are with us. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. My friends, the Lord bless you this week. And may you have encounters with the Lord of hosts and his mighty angels. God bless you. Bye-bye.